Welcome back to Psychedelic Therapy Frontiers, the podcast devoted to exploring the frontiers of psychedelic medicine and what it takes to cultivate a healthy mind, body, and spirit. I'm Dr. Steve Thayer, and today my co-host, Dr. Reed Robison, and I discuss our intentions for this new year. It's 2023, folks. I thought 2022 would never end. Actually, I had a pretty good, pretty good 2022, all things considered. Today, Reed and I discuss a little bit about last year and what we hope for in the new year. We'll talk about setting values-based intentions for the new year as opposed to the traditional goals or new year's resolutions. We'll talk about the struggle of walking the middle path between ambition, contentment, things of that nature. We explore the value of journaling and, of course, much, much more. Hey, folks, if any of you are interested in offering psychedelic-assisted therapy to clients, if you're practitioners and you want those skills, you want that expertise, Numinous offers training opportunities for mental health practitioners to develop those skills and expertise. So if you're interested in a course carefully crafted by Numinous professionals, including myself, Reed, Joe, and others, that offer high-quality learning experiences, you can go to numinous.com forward slash training. That's numinous.com forward slash training, and you can sign up for the courses. Of course, if you'd like to support the show, you can do it by leaving us a review and sharing the episode. Now let's dive into intention setting for 2023. Reed, welcome to the year 2023. Thanks, Steve. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. So we're recording this at the beginning of 2023, and hopefully you'll be listening to it at the beginning of 2023, because today we're going to talk a little bit about New Year's resolutions. Is it New New Year's, New Year resolutions? The resolutions that belong to the New Year, so New Year's resolutions. People say New Year's. Mm-hmm. Yep. So are you a New Year's resolution guy? Do you sit down and review the year and make goals and all that stuff? I love a good new year. (laughs) I love a a good chance to reflect. Anything that brings a chance to introspect, take an inventory, um, look at uh, how things have been going, Mm -hmm. uh, what's, you know, how far you've come, and uh, look ahead to, uh, I don't know what, these days I'm not as much into goals or resolutions, more into values and intentions. Mm. Yeah, I guess which sort of makes sense given how much we've talked about on the podcast, you know, values and intentions as it applies to psychedelic assisted therapy, but uh I think I'm I'm headed in the same direction. I was looking at some of my old goals that I'd set in mm-hmm. previous pretty previous for previous New Year's resolutions and it's kind of fun to see how my focus has changed and how my my maybe even my values have evolved and changed. Um, and how some mm-hmm. of those goals that I set, some of those priorities that I had in even recent years past, I'm just thinking, Ugh, that's lame. Or, <laughs> or at least yeah. I'm, I'm no longer interested in those that kind of development. It is fun to look at the evolution, the progression. Mm-hmm. And that's cool. It sounds like we're drinking the same Kool-Aid, our own Kool-Aid of yeah. it, so much intention talk mm-hmm. <laughs> spilling mm-hmm. into everyday life. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast by the author of the book Essentialism, Greg McCown. Mm-hmm. He's got his own podcast. I like his work. Yeah, and he 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 was talking about New Year resolution, New Year's resolutions, and uh, he suggested that instead of resolutions or goals in particular, um, that you know, along the line of his brand of essentialism, that we come up with what he calls an essential intent. 
for the year and for to have it be focused, you know, don't have 15 different goals. Um, but you can have other values that revolve around one particular essential intent. I thought that was an interesting way to approach it. Makes me think of, uh, one of the Buddhist like eightfold path principles is wise intention, mm. which also makes me think about the word intention isn't inherently good or bad, like good or evil. <laughs> it could be, it could be either. In fact, like mm-hmm. before we've we started talking about intention so much in psychedelic therapy and in you know therapy work in general, uh, what I used to think about with intention was like. What's your intention? What's your intention for being here? Yeah. Checking someone's intent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I've heard that you know the phrase, uh, "the road to hell is paved with good intentions." That intention without action is useless or pointless or unhelpful. Yeah, so that argues that saying argues for adding some conscious goals into the mix if it feels right for you. But these days, uh, I think it's not just us uh, who, who are a bit uh, jumpy about goals or getting too caught up in a hustle. Like Mm -hmm. there's this correction going on or the pendulum swinging back the other direction, it seems, of uh, trying to be more gentle with oneself and trying to not set yourself up for failure and uh, self-criticism. Yeah, yeah, you hear people talk about being anti-hustle culture or anti-grind set, the the mindset (laughs) of grinding, you know. Um, but certainly they're, they're, it, to accomplish something in this world, it often takes hard work, focused mm-hmm. work, discipline, yeah. self-sacrifice, um, uh, holding back, you know, these things that I've, I've struggled a lot with in my life of trying to figure out how to walk what is sometimes called the middle way or the middle path between intense self-discipline, even asceticism, versus maybe uh, self-indulgence mm-hmm. or what you know some people in my life would have called laziness. Yeah, no, I've been walking that, trying to walk that tightrope for many years now. And I've seen how at sometimes it's landed on the a little too laissez-faire mm-hmm. and other times it's landed in the too much grind, too much hustle. Um, but I think that balance is key. That like balance is... Uh, you know, at least what I'm continually um, trying to land on, but knowing I'm never perfectly in balance, right? It's, it's right. a continual kind of dance between those two dialectics. Like I am doing the best I can and I can do better. I like that because it helps me afford myself some grace. Uh, because like you said, you're never perfectly in balance, even the act of balancing. So I, I put a slack line in my backyard this year. Mm-hmm. And been trying to practice the slack line, and and when I'm on the slack line, I'm always falling off the slack line. I'm never totally on it. Like <laughs> I'm I'm constantly the whole time teetering too far to one side, and as I correct to the center, I'll overcorrect the other side. So even when I'm doing quote unquote well on the slack mm-hmm. line, not totally falling off, I'm making micro adjustments all the time. Yeah. So to be in balance does not mean being uh, completely perfectly perched atop what you're trying to do. It's constantly adjusting and course correcting back and maybe choosing new trajectories. Yeah, everything is always in motion. In fact, that reminds me 
of a Carl Rogers quote that may or may not be related, if you'll allow it. I'll allow it. <laughs> Carl Rogers, who we we quite enjoy around here, mm-hmm. um, and bless his soul, back in his day, he couldn't say the word love. He had to talk about unconditional positive regard yeah, instead in therapy. Smuggle it into therapy. Yeah, but he said, uh, a person is a fluid process, not a fixed and static entity. A flowing river of change, not a block of solid material. A continually changing constellation of potentialities, not a fixed quantity of traits. Mm. I like that because that is how I experience myself. Yeah. There's sort of a, there's a thread of conscious memory that, you know, when I wake up, I remember that I'm Steve Thayer and I sort of remember what happened the day before. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm constantly, and that's never more apparent than when I'm meditating, you know, trying, trying to return my mind to an object of focus and I'm noticing all the the thoughts that come up out of nowhere and you know, out of the recesses of wherever consciousness is generated. Um, but yeah, we're, we're constant. And so we might as well allow for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Um, but uh, back to your question about goals and am I setting resolutions and goals? And instead this year I'm trying on, well, values and intentions, but one of them happens to be discipline. Mm. And uh, so it's more of a broad, like, intention to embody that as an important value in my life um, that can apply to many areas, many projects and tasks, uh, but will be accompanied with the value uh, of, uh, like, self-compassion and, uh, being gentle with oneself and, uh, you know, knowing that, uh, yeah, like doing the best I can continually learning and, and failing along the way is perfectly okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking along the same lines for my intention this year is I've called it the, um, enlightened pursuit of more, whatever enlightenment <laughs> might mean. But in, in, at least in my case, enlightenment means this balancing act that we're talking about, where I can pursue the freedoms that are only on the other side of discipline, um, but be compassionate with myself when I fall off the slack line. So yeah. if I have, a, I, have a, I have some physical health goals that I want to achieve that, um, that really are only going to be achievable through discipline around the food I put in my body, the the sleep I give myself, the exercise I force myself to do, yeah. Um, but also the play. I, I really want to make twenty twenty three a year of um, growth in self development, but also growth in this area of just enjoying myself mm-hmm. more. Yeah. I don't have to grind necessarily. Yeah, a couple things come to mind. One, a little tangent, uh, because we're in Utah and uh, which was settled by Brigham Young and and others, Brigham Young University named after him, one of the prophets of the Mormon church around here. I read something that he wrote once upon a time that I'm curious what you think about. He said he liked to set up his day with uh, three into thirds, a third work, a third play, a third sleep. Hmm. I like I like programming play into every day. Yeah. Because that's certainly, as I'm thinking of it, isn't the case <laughs> for all of my days. Yeah. Um, sometimes I'm working so much that I get home and I'm super exhausted and I, I sort of, you know, wring the rag out as much as I can for my kids and my wife. And then by the time it's, uh, I've got a little time to myself, I'm exhausted. 
ready to rest. Yeah, and a third um, rigidly isn't so practical, but I like the idea of giving yourself permission to to work hard at times and really not work hard during mm -hmm. other parts of the day, uh, whether that's play or relaxation or just like connecting without any pressure to be doing or accomplishing. It's an interesting phrase, Reed, giving yourself permission. You know, I, I, a lot of my clients struggle with this and I relate to it, yeah. but this idea that we don't have permission from whoever, <laughs> the constructs in our hearts, for our parents, society, the government, whatever it is, God, we don't have permission to enjoy ourselves. We don't have permission to, uh, even the word indulgence implies some kind of sinful act, right? <laughs> yeah. At, at least it, that's kind of what I think, um, that, it, that it's, it, that to be indulgent is to give too much to oneself. Um, so yeah, like this, this idea of permission is, is kind of a funny one. Yeah. I think it comes in part, um, culturally intergenerationally way mm -hmm. back to early Catholicism mm -hmm. when gluttony even was a sin big time, mm -hmm. like pleasure, one of, one of the carnal pleasures. Yeah. yeah. Lust. And, uh, and the teachings back then, if you read some of them from say like 14, 1500s would talk about, uh, just the evil pleasures, uh, lust being one of them mm -hmm. or the body like is just like, it was seen as like a curse and not something to celebrate and enjoy. Yeah. The ascetics would whip themselves. Like they would literally yeah. punish their flesh because the flesh was the, the seat of, uh, of carnal desire and therefore sin. Which was interesting in Da Vinci Code movie to see that <laughs> portrayed. Oh <my> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Paul Bettany did a good job. Yeah. That, that was character. intense. Yeah. Good movie though. Good book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're dealing with this programming to one extent or another, right? From, as you, as you described our culture, mm -hmm. culture many hundreds of years ago, right? That we're still influenced by. I was watching a show the other day and they were talking about how, you know, much of America was settled by Puritans, people who came from Europe and, and, uh, often described as trying to escape religious persecution. And this person was making the, the argument that no, they came to America so they could persecute more <laughs> so <that laughs> they could be more rigid because oh, they, yeah. they weren't allowed to be as rigid as they, as they wanted to be back in, in Europe. That was their intention. Right. Yeah. But, um, with that, uh, balance of goals and self-compassion, say discipline and, um, and just being uh, flexible. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I was thinking about, say you have a goal of going to the gym and getting a certain amount of cardio in. Um, so say that's one of your values and you translate it into a, a goal, like uh, fitness and really um, being in good health to be able to move through life in a, with freedom and whatnot. But then say you run into someone who really needs to talk to you mm. at the gym. And then you're faced with this conflict of, uh, oh no, I got to get my workout. And you can see how for some people that's an, an anxiety is mounting in them. But, um, one thing I've been playing with, with my own values this year is by doing, um, on a fairly regular basis, but I did it the other day leading up to the, to New Year's Eve is a card sorting task, mm -hmm. looking at values and ranking them, like coming up with the stack of 50 plus values, the top 10, um, and then ranking them mm -hmm. so that when I walk into a situation like that and, um, I may have a value related to, um, 
you know, this embodiment and moving for pleasure and, and in a freedom and celebrating all that. But I also have a value of connection and altruism and things like that, that may far outrank that. Then I can like, as those get, um, revisited and ingrained and front and center for me, I can just relax into this like, oh, it's okay if I don't get my 27 minutes on the treadmill or whatever. I like that. Yeah, you have like an energetic flow chart uh, in there that helps you make decisions about how to allocate your energy, about what to do with your time, and it's calibrated to your values. And, excuse me, I think that's really important because you might go to the gym and if you aren't clear about where those values rank for you, then you might uh, disregard the person that needs your help because no, I need to get my 27 and a half minutes of cardio in or whatever it is. And then you could feel bad about it later. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or you might have fewer social connections as a result of you being insular or uh, only concerned about your minutes on the treadmill. I mean, this is kind of extreme, but yeah, for an example. But it, yeah, I think it's it's relevant and it it highlights the need for mindfulness along the way. Like not only in our goal setting resolutions um, to really tune into what values are alive in you, important in you. Um, but then as we move through life, being able to pause, check in, and uh, act from a heart space of is mm-hmm. what's what's a the most aligned with, uh, you know, what's important to me. I'm glad you brought up mindfulness. You know, mindfulness begets awareness. And I think if we've, if we aren't aware and deliberate about the values that we're calibrating to, then we get sort of jerked around by the subconscious ones. One we talk about a lot in here is sort of like the, the people pleasing value. Mm -hmm. I am not enough. I have to make sure other people, uh, that I do what other people want so that they'll love me and accept me. Um, and so if that's unconscious, it, like I said, it, it sort of jerks you around and, and other people's agendas become your agenda uh, out of a desperate attempt to ensure that you aren't alone. And this is very understandable yeah. for a lot of people. But if you can make these values like you're describing conscious through a practice of mindfulness, mindful inquiry, um, mm-hmm. yeah, then then if somebody comes up and they need your help, you can deliberately serve them from like the metaphor we've used before is this full cup, Right. I've, I've chosen to fill my cup first so that I can then serve people from the excess instead of scraping the bottom of that cup, um, out of desperation or fear. Yeah, begrudgingly. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, what else you can do is, you know, if you have a value of, of boundaries or an intention to like honor your own, um, boundaries and self-care time and practices, then you can figure out a nice way to, have both of those things be honored. Like say, it is good to see you. I would love to chat. Are you free later mm-hmm. if I give you a call? Because I'm about to get my workout in. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a really healthy way of doing it. Um, for me, I also have to accept the possibility that even if I execute that perfectly, even if I you know use all of my good communication skills, it's possible that this person is still going to be hurt. Yeah. It's possible <laughs> that, um, you know, that, that, I'll, I'll back up a little bit. One thing that, is, that has helped my own perfectionism around this stuff, around goals, mm-hmm. around relationships, yeah. is to embrace the reality of entropy. Embrace mm-hmm. the reality of chaos to some degree. That yeah. it is actually okay if I make mistakes. It is actually okay if, even if I don't quote unquote make any mistakes, I'm doing everything that a rational, well-trained person would do, it still might not work out well. 
and that's okay. And so I've made real estate in my brain for that to live mm-hmm. and it's helped me relax a lot. And yeah. wouldn't you know it, when I'm more relaxed, I'm actually more likely to act in a way that's consistent with my values. I'm actually more likely to show up in a way that's really helpful for other people too, which is one of my values anyway. A little hard when you're in fight or flight mode or mm-hmm. frazzled. Um, but I, I'm glad you brought that up because it's something I've been trying on for a little while now, but um, bringing front and center again in the spirit of New Year's is embracing making mistakes like with good intentions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and not not in a sloppy way, but like in a way of stretching and knowing that it's going to be imperfect and I'm, I'm striving to embody these things and it's a continual process. So I, I kind of try on this 80-20 rule of uh, like, if I have a certain goal or something I'm trying to bring um, into day-to-day life or turn into a habit, it's okay if I'm missing the mark 20% of the time or if I'm trying to master a craft making mistakes is actually good, right? Mm -hmm. Like errors beget neuroplasticity. Like we learn through reorganization and making mistakes and the emotionality tied to it can stir things up in a way that makes the brain more malleable and ready to learn. Yeah. I like that, that recharacterization of what an error is, right? It's, um, you could think of of learning just being a, a series of rushing as quickly as you can to a mistake. So that you can then, yeah, I've used the word recalibrate a lot, but so that you can then recalibrate and try it again. I was talking to my son about this the other day because he's learning to play the guitar. He's teaching himself. He didn't want lessons, so we got him a guitar for Christmas, uh, an electric guitar, which is oh, what he wanted. Cool. So he's in his room, blinking away. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, I just told him make as make as many mistakes, like try stuff that confuses you, and rush to mistakes so that you can get better. Yeah. Um, you know, success is built upon mountain failures, all these tropes that we have that uh, suggest this truth. Someone even told me once that the word sin uh, comes, if you travel it way back through a certain path, comes from the word mistake or missing the mark. Mm. Like it's not like you've, like it's not egregious and unpardonable. It's like an understandable error. And we humans are full of errors. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, again, I love the way of, of changing our relationship to error, to mistake, happy accident. Is that what, is that what Bob Ross calls it? <laughs> happy little accidents. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Happy little tree. Yeah. yeah he'd, he'd, uh, accidentally, um, swipe his brush somewhere and be like, Oop, now it's a bird or, uh, I get another cloud now. <laughs> There's an artist I saw on TikTok. He's a charcoal artist and he starts every piece, at least that he presents on, on his TikTok channel, um, by scraping a bunch of charcoal and then basically just hucking it at the canvas. And it creates this chaotic cloud. Entropy. And then, I've, I mean, I've never seen somebody more chaotic, uh, as an artist turn their chaos into something ordered and beautiful. He'll just start like scribbling around with a charcoal pencil or, or like a big chunk of charcoal. He'll have an eraser where he smudges stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and pretty soon, and it almost happens in an instant, like one of those magic eye things yeah, where it's this cloud of scribbles and smudges. And all of a sudden it's this perfectly proportioned face comes That's out of this, cool. this chaotic charcoal mess. I saw someone do that with a soda can. They like poured some Coke on a paper mm. and made this uh, like brown spot. And then they just took out the 
pencils and markers and started turning it into something beautiful. It was pretty cool. Yeah, I saw another guy did it with ink, just sort of splattered a bunch of ink and then turned it into something. I saw another artist do this with their child. So the child would do a little doodle mm-hmm. and it was, you know, unidentifiable <laughs> what That's it was. Cool. And then they would come in and, and create something out of the doodle. Yeah, and now we just have AI do it. Oh gosh, us. yeah. <laughs> I won't go there. <laughs> we already read me. AI poetry on yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, you know what else I like to use um, as I go about the new year is visualizing failure or one of my favorite questions to ask myself or to give others to try on is how might you get in your own way? Mm. And not in a way of like catastrophizing, like this is with a very purposeful practice and in the spirit of gentleness is like, how could th- how might things um, stumble because then you're less likely to, and you've prepared yourself and you've prepared your brain and your emotional system for it. Yeah. Uh, yeah I'm glad you made the point that it's not catastrophizing because yeah. people, some, sometimes we can get addicted to worry. Like what if, what if this happens? But what if this happens? I have to control for all these possible variables and then I will move. And that's just, that's just a recipe for inaction and I don't know, hair loss. Yeah, but this this approach helps me anyway to know that it's okay if things don't go as planned. In fact, they're not going to go as planned and there will be mistakes. And I might sleep in 27 days in a row in my quest to get up and meditate or whatever. And, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's okay. So you can like purposefully visualize it, acknowledge it, so it doesn't creep up as anxiety uh, in the form of uncertainty. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, this is actually an intervention we often use in therapy for people who have, you know, generalized anxiety disorder or people who worry in a, to a pathological extent. It goes by many names, but one I've heard it referred to as play the tape forward. So yeah. what are you worried about? And then they say what they're worried about. Okay, well, and then what would happen? Well, then, then this would happen. Okay, but then what would happen after that? Um, and pretty soon you get to the worst case scenario, like the ultimate, well, then this would happen and all would Mm -hmm. be lost. (laughs) Okay. But would it really, and it's pretty rare to get to a worst case scenario that is insurmountable or, and you can get to some pretty gnarly stuff, but still say, well, but I might still be alive. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I think like you're describing Reed, it's, it's helpful to do that, Mm -hmm. to take a close look at what we're actually afraid of and to realize that it might not be as bad as we think it as we think it is going to be. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, one other thing I encountered, I'm curious what you think about. There was a, this was a psychology article from a few years back, the three E's of goal setting, like that in order to be like productive and helpful, this is like Nowak, I think was the author's name. The, uh, goals should, um, line up with these three things. They should enlighten us, they should encourage us, and they should enable us. Hmm. Enlighten, encourage, and enable. Like meaningful insight, like the enlightening part, they should give us insight into our strengths, weaknesses, help us prioritize towards those values. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like encourage. Encourage toward things we want to achieve. The motivation that comes, they should be encouraging, not um, discouraging. Right. Like not self not fuel for self-criticism. You're yeah. bad if you don't do these things. Yeah. You're a failure if you don't do these things. And enabling, they should help us like 
find that balance we're talking about between our actual self right now and the path towards the ideal self mm -hmm. we might have in our mind or the the self-actualization path of realizing the things we want to bring into our life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The transcendent path of podcast listeners have heard me talk a lot about this concept of transcendence. I'm just geeking out on it lately. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And transcendence doesn't mean you transcend what it means to be human. Um, that you become a perfect celestial being necessarily or an alien or an alien. Uh, we'll save that for the singularity when we upload our consciousnesses into the machines, but, um, into the quantum field. Yes, indeed. Yeah. I like that way of thinking about goals. There's so many different ways to think about it. <clears throat> I'm going to, I'm going to go back to, um, Greg McEwen's concept of essential intent. This is it, for whatever structure you're going to use to think about the North star you're going to chart toward this year. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to be clear, to yeah. be focused. I'm, I've been guilty before of not being clear enough about what I want and where I want to head. Um, and some of that's my own sort of people-pleasing perfectionism. I, I don't have confidence that what I want is what I should want or um, where I'm headed is where I ought to head. So you got the shoulds, the oughts, the musts, the, what one of my supervisors would say is, uh, stop shooting all over yourself or yep. for musts. It would be uh, that's just masturbation. This Ooh. is very controversial because he was a BYU professor, but he really enjoyed, uh, making people uncomfortable. Scandalous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I loved him for. Huh. But yeah, focus. Um, and, and that I think tying it into the things we've talked about already, it should be clear, it should be focused and it should be connected to, like you were saying, your values yeah. uh, or what some people would describe as your deep why. Like what is mm -hmm. your why? Who are you trying to serve? Why are you trying to serve them? And that who could include yourself? Um, and how are you going to go about doing it? And then you can use all the fun stuff that's out there around goal setting, like smart goals. And, um, I really, I really like, uh, James Clear's work on habits, his book, atomic habits and his email, mm -hmm. his, uh, weekly email is really, really good for that kind of stuff. Yeah. I love that, uh, reminder, start with the why it's like, uh, Simon Sinek's golden mm -hmm. circle. Mm -hmm. Um, that's often applied to businesses, but I think, you know, we, sh we, it's most helpful to take it inside and, you know, write your own personal mission, vision, and value statements. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to ask you, though, if you could clarify what is meant by essential intent, es essential intention, again. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I got it from Greg McEwen literally this morning, listening, <laughs> listening to Let's his get podcast. get him on the phone. He's great. I love his book, Essentialism, and I'm forgetting the book that came after that. Um, but still like an artist. Did he write that? I don't know. I can't remember. Um, I can't, I think it I might be his, so. but yeah. <laughs> maybe most, not. most famous for essentialism. Um, but yeah, I think in the spirit of essentialism, it was just, you want to make a decision. You want to have an intent that, that, um, that sort of answers a thousand other questions. Mm -hmm. or resolves a thousand other yeah, mini like goals it. or intentions. So something that is so far upstream mm -hmm. that when you take care of it, it takes care of so many other things. It's like you mentioned Pareto's principle, the 80-20 rule. I, th I think it refers to that. Um, and your North Star, like you said, yeah. your guiding principles, 
that govern how you're going to act in these moments of uncertainty, entropy out there in the world because we're guided by those essential intentions. Yeah, it's like that that what I call the spiritual or whatever float energetic flow chart that you were talking about before. Yeah. Like what are these higher order principles and values that you can calibrate back to that help you make decisions that you might otherwise sort of obsess over or fret about. Mm-hmm. Um so essential an essential intent could be I want to be more loving. And that's really really broad. So then you start thinking about so if I want to be more loving, what uh, how does that influence the decisions I might make in my marriage or in my yeah. partnership and as a parent, um, as a friend, uh, as a person in my work, whatever you do for work. Mm-hmm. So when I've thought about my sort of higher order values, love is always on there. It's always ranked highly, if not number one. Yeah. But love can mean a lot of different things. So love, authenticity is really important to me. Freedom has become really, really important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and awareness. I call it laugh, love, authenticity, awareness, and freedom. Cool, laughing awareness. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) laughing awareness. It's a a play on Ram Dass's quote. Loving awareness. I am. I love that as a pun too. I'm loving awareness. Yeah. Um, So there was. Oh, you know what helps me with this North Star thing is sometimes I feel like my brain has a lot of tabs open in Mm, it mm. and. What helps me to clear that up is writing, mm. you know, just, it feels like I'm uh, getting rid of all all this noise and coming back to those essential things when I write. And it also helps so my brain doesn't explode. Right. Yeah. I actually had that thought this morning that I want to write more because when I write, I find out what I think. It's kind of yeah. like conversations like this. One of the reasons I love uh, having a podcast where it's a conversation is that sometimes I don't know what I think about something until I start conversing about it. Yeah, I have my own sort of running monologue in my head, um, but it's often uh, obsessive or ruminative. It doesn't it doesn't really go many places. Mm-hmm. So when I talk to somebody, I start it starts becoming a little more clear what I think and believe. And I reserve the right to change my mind about anything I've said on this podcast, by the way. So <laughs> please don't hold me to anything. Yeah. But it it's, makes me think of that concept we talk about in relationship a lot. Any kind of relationship is we're mirrors for each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it is in the the talking about it, the writing, the sitting with the questions, seeing what comes up that we learn about ourselves. Yeah, there, there's a type of clarity. I used to I used to write a lot in college, and then early in my psychology career, I used to write blogs, uh, blog posts, and things, little essays, basically. Um, and there's this state that I would get into. I, I my writing process is is maybe some of you can relate to it, but it's for me, it's weird. So I will start by avoiding it at all costs. Like, oh, I don't want to start. Oh, it's too much. Oh, I got like a lot of procrastination. My mind's all busy and buzzing, and then I'll finally break through that. And I'll sit down and as my mind starts to calm down, I get into a flow state. When I when it becomes clear to me, I'll write an outline and that'll help me. Or I'll just start writing stream of consciousness yeah. to break through that writer's block. And then it, it's really, really pleasant. I, I really like being in the type of flow state that writing gives me. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm collecting my thoughts and putting them into an organized narrative. Even if it's an essay, it's a story. My dad was an author, um, was because he's not alive anymore, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, a professional writer. He taught English. He taught creative writing. My mom's a professional editor. Like, I've got it in my genetic code to write stuff. 
And uh, right now I haven't been doing a lot of it. I've been journaling, which is helpful, but it's not the yeah. same thing for me as trying to write an essay, like a really, really well thought out, well-organized message communicated in story form. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, and what you said about discovering how you think and feel about something through writing makes me think of another quote, a Robert Frost one. What did he say? Poetry is when an emotion has found its its thought and a thought has found its word. Words. Oh, I like, like that. that. Yeah, pretty cool. He he was good with words. Yeah, he's okay. <laughs> he's okay. <laughs> like like your parents. Yeah. <laughs> I like that because I'm I'm not much of an artist otherwise, but cuz for me art is an expression of emotion and thought in these really really interesting ways. Yeah. The way of communicating something instantly. Um so I was never a good visual artist. I was I was always jealous of people who could sketch. And I, I loved comic books as a kid. I really wanted to be able to draw cool comic book mm-hmm. characters. And my sister-in-law is a, is a really skilled portrait artist. My sister is a, is a digital artist. My uh, other sister is a performance artist. She's an actress and a singer. And, um, and so, yeah, for me, it was the written word. And man, there was nothing more satisfying to me growing up than writing something and, and having people really enjoy it or, or praise yeah. it, or praise it. I, I like a good compliment. <laughs> How do you feel about having such uh, high performing creative family members? <laughs> you know, when I was younger, it was intimidating. Yeah. You know, I compare myself to them and be like, oh crap, I'm not as, I'm not as good as they are. Uh, but now, you know, as I'm approaching 40 this year, uh, I, I love it. I like, yeah. I like bragging about my family. I, I love getting advice and help from my family. And I love seeing where they've taken their lives and using all their impressive skills to, to develop into cool people. Another um, example of how it's fun to look back at the evolution of Steve, of, mm. of us as unique individual humans, um, because that it would be energy wasted in theory if you were stuck in feeling like insecure or resentful or jealous mm-hmm. of someone, especially someone you love and their successes. So it's, uh, yeah, it's just a, a fun question to, to poke at, but need to see where it's come. Yeah. Yeah. yeah another reason why I'll plug journaling, you know, if it weren't for my journals, I would not know how far I've come. Yeah. I would not know myself as well as I, I feel like I do. If it weren't, because, you know, human beings and certainly myself, um, we have short memories. Mm-hmm. We have short memories when it comes to the history of our species, the history of our culture. It's easy to get trapped in in our immediate moment. And so I'll forget sometimes. My oh, wife yeah. likes to remind me, like, I'll sometimes I'll get hard on myself and, sh- and she'll say something like, you know, Steve, you do realize how much you've changed. You do realize how far mm-hmm. you've come. Um, and it's a good reset. So sometimes I'll go back and look at, I mean, I have journals from when I was in elementary school and just look at what I used to lament about (laughs) that just doesn't even touch me anymore. I lament about other things. Yeah, no, that's cool. It's, uh, yeah, it's such an amazing practice. Of course, there's all this evidence about gratitude journaling and all these Mm -hmm. benefits, but just, um, just dear diary stuff. Yeah. (laughs) To cut through the noise, um, and land back on how you really feel, what's really alive in you. And, uh, yeah, whether you're writing just for yourself or writing to get something out there to touch others. It makes me excited about uh, the future because if if now 
40-year-old Steve's looking back at 30-year-old Steve and thinking, like, what was wrong with you, dude? Or, oh, poor guy. Or, you know, I, I love where he was, and I'm glad he did what he did to because now I am where I am. It makes me wonder what 50-year-old Steve's going to think when he looks back on, I guess, the podcasts and the <laughs> <laughs> this is a live journal, very vulnerable and exposed. But, um, but yeah, the private journals and um, where will I be? Where will I be in a year, five, ten, God willing, many more years? Yeah, that is that is fun to look back at uh, our embarrassing versions of ourselves from mm-hmm. the past. Even when we go back and look at our first ketamine-assisted psychotherapy course, mm-hmm. video course that we did in conversation form, which is a cool idea and has been watched by many, and there's been good feedback, but when I watch, and, and you may feel the same way, it's a little bit of like, you know, some compassionate embarrassment mm-hmm. of like, like, oh, cute, that was fun, we were learning, mm-hmm. we did a good job with what we had at the time, and and would love to do that again right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have the very, <laughs> the very, very, very same thoughts and feelings when I watch that course. I like the, that you said compassionate embarrassment, that you added that compassionate part, because sometimes, certainly, I'm more so that way now, but I've... I remember in graduate school looking at the videotape recordings of me doing therapy. You know, mm-hmm. I'm in supervision. We tape as student therapists, we tape all of our sessions for review and in group supervision. And I remember we we watched this clip and my supervisor said, Okay, Steve, how, how do you how do you feel about this? And I just said, Oh, it feels excruciating. Uh-huh. And he's like, Excruciating. Interesting. So the entire supervision session was about you know, why does why does Steve feel so embarrassed about his <laughs> efforts to learn how to be a therapist? Yeah, it's, it's interesting to see um, in the evolution of humans on an individual basis, of course, but how um, as you're coming out of adolescence, it's not uncommon to be really embarrassed about yourself, your photos, videos from an awkward stage, but then to get to a place where of acceptance and like, oh, cute, and wanting to share those awkward things without like, you know, reaching an, an age or a stage of less insecurity mm. and more like acceptance of all our parts and messy parts mm-hmm. and places we've been. Yeah. Yeah. It is a matter of, of human development to some degree that if we navigate those stages, well, we often end up in sort of this more generative, um, self-satisfied stage. I was uh, watching TikTok the other day as I am want to do when I'm trying not to think about stuff. And there was this funny TikTok about a guy who's, you know, he's, he's joking around, but he's saying, you know, sometimes people will tease me about being old, but being old's awesome. I don't care what what other people think. <laughs> this is what he said. He said, I can rip a fart in Walgreens and not care. I'm not going to see those people again. I don't even know what brand my shoes are. Like <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Um, just talking about like not worrying so much. Yeah. Because that is a lot of, like we were saying, energy in the wrong direction. Like, uh, rather than like encouraging ourselves, cheering ourselves on instead of energy of like, like self-criticism, self-doubt, um, embarrassment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, any final thoughts read on intentions for the new year, sort of walking that middle way, that balance between too hard on oneself, not hard enough on oneself. You know, you've, you mentioned just a minute ago, the generative, um, stage that comes about at a certain point in life. I've just noticed like, coming back to our initial talk about 
hustling versus uh, intentions and values, mm-hmm. just notice that mine have landed much more lately in recent years and especially now on these, like how to be instead of what to do. Mm. And even when there's something like, I'll admit one of my, one of my things for this year, I'll go out on a limb and uh, reveal that I'm writing a book mm. and it's called, it's going, I'll even tell you what it's going to be called. Oh, wow. Um, Big reveal. The Nectar of Introspection. Ooh, you like it? I like it. <laughs> and, Delicious. Yeah, and it's not for, it's just coming out because it wants to, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And whereas in past years, I've had this like, I want to write a freaking book. And mm-hmm. it's just been the wrong intent, you know, to have it really enter that flow. Not something you force, it's something you allow. Yeah, I like tune into and uh, allow. I like that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing, Reed. I'm excited to to read the nectar of introspection. Yeah, it, right? we'll see. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll see uh, what it's about. I don't even know. All right. Yeah. Well, have a happy 2023, yeah. Reed. I'm, I'll be Cheers. excited to uh, share much of it with you this year. Likewise. Thanks, Steve. Psychedelic Therapy Frontiers is brought to you by Numinous a mental wellness company committed to tackling the global mental health crisis by delivering best-in-class psychedelic-assisted therapies, contributing to the body of primary and clinical psychedelic research, and fostering healing through community connection and social responsibility. You can learn more about Numinous at Numinous.com. That's N-U-M-I-N-U-S.com. If you enjoyed the show today and you want to support us, here's how you do it. Rate and review the show on platforms like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Subscribe to the Numinous YouTube channel, like the videos, and share it. Share the show or clips of the show with someone that you think will enjoy it. Hey listeners, it's Steve Thayer here, letting you know that Numinous offers unique training opportunities for mental health practitioners to develop their skills and expertise in offering psychedelic-assisted therapy to clients. These courses are carefully crafted by numinous professionals like myself, Reed, Joe, and others, and offer a variety of high-quality learning experiences. So if you would like to learn more about these trainings, you can find the link in the show notes below, or you can visit numinous.com forward slash training. That's numinous.com forward slash training. The content of this podcast does not constitute medical advice or mental health treatment. Consult with a medical or mental health professional if you believe you are in need of mental health treatment.